What up Cavs Nation, I'm your host Ethan Sands and I'm back with another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk Podcast. I'm joined by your favorite beat reporter, Chris Fedor. What up Chris? Ethan, what's going on man? How are you? Man, Chris, I'm kind of disappointed to be honest with you. The last 24 hours have been a roller coaster of emotions for Cavs fans. But I mentioned in the podcast yesterday that although the Cavs were able to sneak away with a victory on the heroics of Max Struess, the team itself didn't have a quality game, at least not to the standard that they had set before the All-Star break. In the game against the Mavericks, they had 16 turnovers, and against the Bulls on Wednesday, they were out-rebounded 74-39, to and the Bulls had 25 offensive rebounds, which is just unheard of in the Jared Allen and Evan Mobley Twin Towers era. The Cavs also had 12 turnovers on Wednesday and were outscored in the paint and held a lead of over 10 points at a point in the game. But the most worrisome part of all of this for me, in both games, they had a chance to close the game out in the final minute or even the final seconds and ended up allowing the opposition an opportunity at a chance for the win. With 42 seconds left against the Bulls, Nikola Vucevic missed a three-point attempt and the Bulls, as they had been doing all night, were able to corral the offensive rebound and get a foul to tie the game. And then, with 38 seconds left, which is plenty of time to make something happen offensively, Donovan Mitchell, the team's closer, made a bad pass that got stolen by Kobe White and led to a game-winner opportunity for DeMar DeRozan. He missed, but the Bulls shouldn't have had a shot to close the fourth quarter, in my opinion. And that's not even discussing two overtime periods. What are your thoughts on how things played out, Chris? Yeah, we're just talking about tonight's game, Ethan. I think it's fine to point to different areas where they came up short. I think it's fine to criticize this team overall when they lose. But I think there's a difference between what happens in a one-game situation, a one-night situation, and what's concerning about this group moving forward going into the playoffs. And sometimes it's not the same match. You know what I'm saying? And I think tonight was a situation where they should have won the game multiple times. They didn't close out this game in the fourth quarter. They have been doing that all season long when taking leads into the fourth quarter. They've been one of the best teams in the NBA um, at going on to win those games. So I think the mistakes that they made late in the game, they're not justifiable. Donovan Mitchell needs to be better. He had two costly turnovers at the end of the fourth quarter and in the two overtime periods. He split a pair of free throws that could have iced the game. He missed a pull-up jumper from the right side that would have won the game. So there were different things there from Donovan's perspective that he failed in those moments tonight in this game against Chicago. But it doesn't mean that he's failing in those situations more times than not. And then Jared Allen had a stupid fall on DeMar DeRozan. I even asked Jared after the game, I said, were you trying to follow him to prevent him from taking a three-pointer because you guys were up three at that point in time and you didn't want to give him or anybody else an opportunity to tie the game? Were you trying to play the fall game? He said, no, I just effed up. And he used the F word, and Jarrett doesn't usually swear. So he said, no, I just effed up. So Jarrett effed up. Donovan effed up. They didn't make the plays down the stretch that they needed to make. 
but that hasn't been a season-long weakness that makes me feel like it's going to be a problem the rest of the season or it's going to be a problem in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, this team, we cannot neglect how well they have been playing and how they've been able to remedy adversity and issues that they've seen in the past. Like, we mentioned a couple podcasts ago about how Karis LeVert needed to step up on multiple occasions. And in the last couple of contests, he's been a couple rebounds shy of a triple-double. Tonight, he had... 15 assists, which is a career high for him, and also the most off the bench for any NBA player this season, along with 14 points and seven rebounds. And then you also look at Evan Mobley adding 25 points and 13 rebounds. Like this team is not one that can be slept on, but sometimes they sleep on themselves and allow them to get into situations where they aren't putting their foot on the other teams next. Like they had been talking about and preaching the entire season, especially after the beginning of the year when that was a constant commodity. And now it's like, oh, it's not happening again. It's just we can't get comfortable. We can't allow ourselves to be naive that other teams can't go on runs because we all know the NBA is a game of runs. Any team can come back at any moment. We saw it against Dallas. We saw it against Milwaukee. These teams are ready to come back and always have the capabilities to do so. Even again, there were aspects of this game that were troublesome. And the result of this game was troublesome because they should have won it multiple times and they should beat the Bulls. But this is a team that is 29 and 6 when leading at halftime. This is a team that is 35 and 4 when leading going into the fourth quarter. This is a team that had won 11 straight overtime games. So I just don't think the closing aspect is is a long-term concern. Now, if you want to talk about the rotations of J.B. Biggerstaff, yeah, we can talk about that. If you want to talk about the Cavs getting absolutely decimated on the glass, yeah, we can talk about that. I just think this idea that they can't close out games or this idea that they let teams back in games or this idea that they don't have a killer instinct or something like that, that's just not backed up by anything. (laughs) In saying all of that, I mean, have you covered a game in the NBA where another team had 74 or any team had 74 total rebounds? That is a massive number. 25 offensive rebounds? A discrepancy of 35 total on the glass and 20 on the offensive glass? Ethan, they're supposed to play this too big thing with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen because it's supposed to give them advantages. And one of those advantages should be on the glass. One of those advantages should be on the defensive end of the floor. So if they're going to sacrifice a little bit of offense, if they're going to sacrifice a little bit of defense by playing Mobley and Allen in long stretches together, They got to be better in those areas where your too big lineup should give you an advantage. And that certainly did not happen tonight. Andre Drummond was an absolute monster. Vucevic was an absolute monster. And those kinds of matchups for the Cavs front line, the bullies, the stronger centers and forwards, the guys that play with more physicality and intensity, that has become a running theme that is problematic for the Cavs' front line of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. 
And if they get in a first-round playoff series, and look, not every team in the NBA has Drummond and Vucevic. Not every team has Drummond. Only one team has Drummond. It's the Bulls and the Cavs probably don't have to worry about them in the playoffs. But if they get into a matchup with a team that has elite rebounders, whew, I don't know how they close that gap because a majority of the time that they play in that kind of environment, in that kind of matchup, it has not been favorable for Evan or Jarrett. And, and it wasn't just Evan and Jarrett. It starts with them because, you know, they're the anchors of the defense. They're the two bigs in the front line. But if Max Struess is going to play the small forward spot, he's going to have to rebound a little bit better, right? The guards are going to have to do a little bit more in terms of rebounding. But tonight, boy, I don't know if I've ever seen a disparity like that on the glass. Even as bad as the first round playoff series against the Knicks was last year in terms of rebounding. I didn't feel it was like this. Yeah, no. I think tonight was definitely one of them unique games. Like, Jared Allen had four rebounds. DeMar DeRozan had 10. Can you believe that? Yep. Three of the Bulls starters had double-digit rebounds with Andre Drummond having 26. Kobe White had eight. It's just a lot to look at, honestly. And sure, a lot of Cavs fans I know are always going to come back to the point that they said that the Cavs should have traded for Andre Drummond or whatever. <laughs> but come on, man. Nobody should have. <laughs> like, come on. We got to be realistic that the Cavs made the right decision of staying put with what they have. This is just one of those games where you recognize the areas where they need to improve. And obviously... When you think about the playoff series last year and all the things that they did to go and remedy the issues that they saw in that series, you realize that they have the remainder of the season to address these issues in-house. It's not like you have a seven-game series where you're like, oh, we're scrambling to figure out how to fix this. No, you have the guys that you know that you need to be able to fix these issues. But Chris, we mentioned the rotations. And I'm going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we need to talk about Sam Merrill not playing in the last two games and Dean Wade only having 14 minutes tonight. We're going to talk about it when we come back from the break, but before then, I got to put our subscribers on to something new. For our listeners, if you like food and drinks, and who doesn't, Cleveland.com is breaking new ground with our lively new podcast about dining and drinking in the greater Cleveland area. The hosts talk about the latest foodie happenings, joined by the most in-the-know experts in town. It's called Dine, Drink, CLE, and you can find it anywhere you download podcasts. Give it a listen, quench your thirst, and feed that appetite. But before then, become a Cavs insider and interact with me and Chris by subscribing to Subtext. Chris, do you want to give the Subtexters or the listeners an idea of what they can gain from Subtext? Sure. I mean, I think it's great because it's just a Cavs-friendly community where you can express your opinions, you can provide analysis as the game is going on, you can have a running conversation with me and Ethan, you can ask your questions to me and Ethan. If you want to submit a question for Hey Chris, that's the place to do it. I don't go to Twitter or X and ask for a bunch of questions from readers there. I use subtext to get those questions and then your name, your question can appear in my story at cleveland.com. And just for an example of some of the, the subtext that you get during a game as it's going on, one of the things that, that I think is something to pay attention to moving forward from the Cavs and 
my subscribers got this tonight during the game, is that teams have made it incredibly difficult for Donovan Mitchell to get into the paint. The strategy that they're using defensively against him has led to him taking a majority of shots from outside the three-point arc. So it's that kind of stuff. It's news, it's information, but it's also analysis. It's X's and O's type stuff. It's my thoughts as the game is going on. All of that is what you get if you become a Cavs insider on subtext. And we also do polls sometimes based on the podcast that we're going to do. We recently had a poll sent out to only our subtexters about who is the second best Cavs player of all time. And we did that in an entire podcast. I know a lot of people were wondering why we only listed two players in the headline, but the list in the poll had 10 different players to choose from. So give us your takes on everything Cavs related by signing up for a 14-day free trial or visiting cleveland.com backslash Cavs and clicking on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word STOP. It's easy. But we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from Chris and me. We'll be right back. Chris, you mentioned it earlier in this podcast. The rotations for the Cavs have been Interesting to say the least as of late. And we know that J.B. Bickerstaff likes his eight to nine man rotation and is very hesitant to move it to 10 and even more so moving it to 11. Hence to why Craig Porter Jr., who just signed a four year contract with the Cavs, is currently on G League assignment. But with that being said, I think we have to talk about two players in particular that have helped the Cavs immensely to get where they are currently, and in the last two games, either didn't play or saw minimal minutes. Dean Wade against the Dallas Mavericks had nine minutes, and you would think with players like Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving on that other team that you would want your second best point of attack defender getting minutes. And then you look at the Bulls game, and Dean Wade only had 14 minutes. Sam Merrill didn't play at all in either of these games. And I understand, and I mentioned this in yesterday's podcast, it didn't really make sense for Sam Merrill to play against the Dallas Mavericks, because who is he going to guard? A lot of people only think about the offensive side of the ball. He's not going to be able to guard Luka Doncic, I'm sorry to say it, and Kyrie Irving, I mean, he's the smallest player on the floor. So size wise, sure. But I mean, look, he's got limitations. He's got certain flaws that can be exploited by the opponent. But I've never looked at Sam Merrill and said, this is a guy who's just absolutely killing them on the defensive end of the floor or is getting targeted by the opponent. I don't think he's that kind of defender where he's a complete and utter liability where he's just not playable in certain matchups. I think it's just a numbers game. I think there are only so many minutes to go around. And you mentioned the rotation, and I've brought this up, and I talked about it with the Cavs insiders on subtext, and it's a story that I'm going to write over the next couple of days. If you want him to play Sam Merrill, and I want him to play Sam Merrill, I think fans want him to play Sam Merrill. I think there are players in that locker room that want to see Sam out there too because of 
the way that he raises their offensive ceiling, the constant cutting, the constant movement, the threat that he is everywhere he goes, the three-point shooting that he brings to the team. I don't know how to do it. You know what I mean? Like, how do you make that happen? The only thing that I continue to come up with, Ethan, is take minutes, small number of minutes from each and every player. So if that means tonight, it went into double overtime. But if that means Darius Garland plays 42 instead of 44, Donovan Mitchell plays 42 instead of 44, Max Struess plays 33 instead of 37, whatever the case may be. Because I just don't know another pathway to it. Because I think there are certain guys, even when Max Struess comes out of the game in the fourth quarter at times, he looks disappointed that he's not out there. So it's hard to satisfy everybody. It's hard to give the minutes to everybody that you think deserve them or have earned them based on the way that they're playing. So I challenge anybody out there, including you, Ethan, find a pathway for Sam Merrill to get 20 minutes a night right now with this team at full strength or close to full strength. How do you do it? You think about, oh, you just replace him with a shooter like George Niang. No, George Niang plays the three and the four. Correct. George Niang does not play the three. George Niang plays the four, (laughs) only the four. Fair enough. He plays the four. You haven't seen him play minutes at the three? I swear I have. Oh, come on. No. (laughs) So Sam Merrill plays the shooting guard position. I don't even think we've seen him play the point guard position this year. No, he's a two slash three. And it's really stretching it, putting him at the three to me. Because height-wise. But I think, like you said, I agree with you. And we've talked about it on multiple occasions. There's only so many minutes to go around. But the only way to really do it is to minimize some minutes. And then you think about it. Do you want to take minutes away from Darius Garland? Do you want to take minutes away from Donovan Mitchell? Do you want to take minutes away from Max? Especially when Karras is playing the way he did. Obviously, 39 minutes is a lot for somebody off the bench. But if he's being the main facilitator... Like, nobody else had over six assists. Max Struess had the second highest assist with six. So you think about him being the facilitator of the team and still being able to get to the paint. Like, Jared Allen had 11 points. Max Struess had 11 points. Donovan Mitchell had 19 points, which is an off night for him, shooting five of 13. These are things that you have to take into consideration as J.B. Bickerstaff, as the coach, like, who is hot? That's what he's talked about all year long. If you're playing well, you play in the game. He did that, though. Yeah, he did. No, that's what I'm saying. He did do that today. And when you think about how Sam Merrill fits in, like, if somebody's playing well, you can't just take them out just because you want to play somebody else. Obviously, Sam brings a lot to the table with how many eyes he gets when he's on the offensive end. And maybe that might be what they're subconsciously trying to do. Because when Sam Merrill was at the top of everybody's scouting report, his effectiveness went down. So maybe they're trying to get the league to forget about Sam Merrill for a little bit and then just pop him back into the lineup. (laughs) (laughs) All I'm saying is, who does he take minutes from? Do these fans want Isaac Okoro to lose minutes? He only played 24 tonight. Do they want Karis LeVert to lose minutes? He played 39 tonight. He was very good in terms of facilitating, in terms of rebounding, in terms of scoring. He provides a different kind of element than Sam Merrill in terms of creation for himself, creation for others, attacking off the dribble. And the Cavs tonight are having a big time problem breaking the paint. And that is such a thing that they need to do to create threes, to create easy looks, 
So they needed what Karis LeVert was giving them tonight. All I'm saying is it's not as easy as saying Sam Merrill is good. Dean Wade is good. They impact the team in a positive way. Find time for them. He went away from George Niang tonight. He benched George Niang for the entire second half tonight because he was not good in the first half. That's an adjustment that JB made, and he deserves credit for that, right? He went back to Dean Wade in the rotation that he's been using recently. During the time when he typically goes to George Niang, he went to Dean Wade there because he said the first half, Dean Wade outperformed George Niang and was giving us more of a boost. And he earned those second-half playing opportunities, more so than Niang. And then to start the fourth quarter, when it has been, for the most part, other guys that are out there, he started with Darius Garland, he went with Karis LeVert, he went with the four players that were playing extremely well in the second half. And those guys got off to an 8-0 run, but then that stuff kind of normalizes. And then you have to start putting Donovan Mitchell in there and Jared Allen in there. And Max Struess has to go in there too. So even though he went with the five guys to start the fourth quarter that were the most impactful, it didn't mean that he was going to ride those guys for the entire fourth quarter and just ignore Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen and some of those other guys. So he's trying to mix and match. But this rotation has become crystallized. Ethan, it's really, really predictable. It's really understandable what J.B. Bickerstaff is trying to do with the rotation. He's going to play nine, folks. He's not playing 11. And he's probably not going to play 10 on a lot of nights. That's just what he's most comfortable with. And it's going to start with the starting lineup. And then at the seven-minute mark of the first quarter, Darius Garland and Evan Mobley are going to exit the game for Dean Wade and Karis LeVert. And then Isaac Okoro is going to follow shortly thereafter. He's going to take the place of somebody. So it's like the interchangeable players in the mind of JB based on his rotation. He's pairing up Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen. He's pairing up Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. He is mixing Karis LeVert and Max Struess, depending on what the Cavs need in that particular moment. It's either Dean Wade or George Niang at the backup four spot. And then... Isaac Okoro, if they need defense, Max Struess more if they need offense, Karis LeVert more if they need offense. So like those three guys, Struess, LeVert, Okoro, are all battling in some ways for minutes amongst themselves. And then what else do you do? Yeah, I mean, Dean Wade had the highest plus minus for the Cavs with plus 12 and just 14 minutes and the only other person that had a positive plus minus for the entire game for the Cavs was Darius Garland with plus four. So here's the question though. How do you play Dean Wade more? How do you do that? The easy answer, right, is just bench George Niang. Well, number one, you can't just ignore Niang. He's very, very important to the Cavs. He's a veteran presence that they need. They need him behind the scenes They also need his floor spacing and his shooting and the stability that he has brought to the second unit throughout the course of the year. So you can't just go away from him completely like the Cavs did Kevin Love or something along those lines. So the easiest answer is just give Niang's minutes to Dean Wade, right? That's the easiest answer. JB did that tonight. He did that. And Dean Wade got 10 minutes in the second half. So if that's the easiest answer, 
And that only leads to 14 minutes total for Dean Wade. How do you get him more? To me, with how Jarrett was playing tonight, I would have slid Evan to the five and put Dean Wade in at the four a little bit earlier for Jarrett. Maybe just to get him a little bit more extra rest or whatever he might have needed. Because I don't know. It's hard to put it into words, but I know that Dean Wade's positioning is more flexible than Sam Merrill's is because he can guard multiple positions and he's able to extend the floor on the offensive end. So I feel like if there is an argument for somebody to play more, and I don't think there's not an argument for Sam Merrill to play more, but I think Dean Wade definitely has to be in that conversation of trying to actively figure out how to get him more minutes and outside of just taking away George Niang's minutes because obviously we understand that George Niang can also go off in some games and also bring a whole lot on the bench and onto the court and things of that nature. So let's let's make it clear what you were saying, okay? I just want to make this clear. On a night that the Cavs could not get a rebound, could not. You wanted to take Jared Allen off the floor more, put Evan Mobley at the five in a matchup against Drummond and Vucevic and put Dean Wade at the four? Yep, that's what I'm saying. As crazy as it sounds, because just looking at the numbers, Jared Allen was only able to get four rebounds. Four rebounds is uncommon of Jared Allen. And even with Vucevic focusing on Evan Mobley or whatever the case might have been, you he still was able to bring in 13 rebounds. So if you switch it and have the person that's getting more rebounds on the other player that's battling out, or maybe you put Dean Wade in and you put him on Drummond and see how he impacts him being able to grab rebounds. So that's more so what I was saying is give Drummond a different look because nine offensive rebounds and 17 defensive rebounds, totaling up to 26 rebounds, is insane and I feel like Dean Wade or just a different look would have been helpful for the Cavs in those moments I think you are out of your mind if you think Dean Wade is going to keep Andre Drummond off the glass I don't think keep off is a word I would use just show him something different I don't know obviously we understand how much work goes into stopping Andre Drummond on the glass and maybe that's also impacted Jared Allen offensively I mean he was five for 12 and those are numbers that you don't see from Jared he's usually very efficient so maybe just switching up and allowing him to catch his breath and then go back in and actually be an offensive weapon Maybe those are other things that had to be taken into consideration. I don't think Dean Wade was stopping Drummond. I honestly don't think anybody was stopping Drummond tonight. He was just on a mission. I think we also have to point this out too, Ethan. This was a 58-minute game because there were two overtimes. Jared Allen only played 34 minutes. That's not a lot in a 58-minute game. So JB kind of did go away from Jared a little bit. And you know when he went away from him? In the first overtime when Vucevic fouled out, and the Bulls couldn't use that too-big lineup. I just think there were certain advantages that the Bulls continued to create, and there were certain matchup problems that were difficult for the Cavs tonight that probably limited the different variations that JB was comfortable going to. And I'm not saying that he was right in doing this. And who knows? At the end of the season, when we do a full evaluation on this team, whatever happens with them in the playoffs, and we do a full evaluation on JB. It's entirely possible 
that his stubbornness of not being willing to go 10, 11 deep in his rotation, his misuse of the bench, his lineups that, that he uses or doesn't use, it could end up being his downfall. It could end up being a thing that this front office is just not comfortable with from his coaching perspective. So I'm not saying that he's right in doing this, and I'm not saying that every decision he makes is right, but it's clear what he's trying to do. And he has what he believes is a pretty set rotation, including times when these guys go on the game. And coaches have to do what they think is right in whatever moment it is. And coaches have to stay true to themselves. And that's what he's, right or wrong, that's what he's doing. And all I'm saying is the solutions that people think are out there are not as easy to come up with as what they're making it seem. Because we just went through it. And your solution was Dean Wade at the four in like a smaller lineup on a night that the Cavs got out-rebounded by 35. And that's fine. You're entitled to that opinion, and that's what you believe. But not every decision JB makes when it comes to his lineup or his rotation is going to be some magic bullet that works. Like, it's really, really easy to say, well, he should have done this, and it would have yielded better results. Well, we don't know that, but we also didn't get an opportunity to see it fail, so we assume it would have been successful. Yeah, I think that's the major thing, Chris. Like, if people don't see it, they assume it works. I'm not saying that my strategy would have worked. I'm just saying I would have liked to see it fail, at minimum. I would have liked to see them at least try it and see what would have came from it. And that's just how the NBA works. There's a whole lot of different lineups that you have to account for and there's a lot of things that you have to predict could happen and have solutions ready but it's not as easy as just plugging in one two three like there's a lot of things that go into consideration and I think Jamie Bickerstaff is also like you said earlier managing the emotions of players that one have earned the right to be on the floor in closing time and two feel like they have deserved those opportunities In the last game against Dallas, Donovan Mitchell was not on the court in the closing seconds because they made a defensive substitution to get them a better opportunity to slow down Luka Doncic on the offensive end. Can I explain that a little bit better? I've got information on that. I was talking to a lot of people about that strategy, and I know a lot of fans were jumping on that, and I was wondering why Donovan wasn't out there either. So I asked a lot of people, and the explanation that I was given All right, so at that point in time, we all know that the Cavs did not have a timeout, okay? But they did have a foul to give. So at that point in time, JB went with his defensive-minded lineup because he wanted to see what kind of look Dallas was going to give, what kind of set Dallas was going to show. And the plan, the plan was to foul because the Cavs had a foul to give. So the Cavs were going to put their defensive lineup out there. They were going to see what Dallas wanted to do in that situation. The inbound pass was going to go to Luka or somebody else, and they were going to fall. The inbound pass got tipped by Evan Mobley, nearly stolen, and then it was kind of a chaotic scramble-type situation. So the Cavs did not have the same opportunity to fall. There was no stoppage, so there was no way to get Donovan back on the court in a defense-offense substitution. Had they fouled, had it been a clean inbound pass, and the Cavs let Dallas run a little bit of their set, 
and then fouled on purpose because they had a foul to give. Then the Cavs were going to go put Donovan back in the game just in case Dallas scored and they needed some kind of heave prayer that they got from Max Struess instead. So there was a plan in place. It just wasn't executed the way that it needed to be executed in order for Donovan to get back on the court in that situation. Same thing with Darius Garland, by the way, because he was also not on the court because the substitution was Jarrett going into the game for Darius and Isaac into the game for Donovan Mitchell. And if anybody is going to fault a coach for putting those two defensive guys in there for two guys who defensively have been liabilities throughout the course of their career, I think that's completely foolish because I think every coach in the NBA would make that kind of substitution because they needed to stop at that point in time. Yeah, and that's basically what I'm saying is J.B. Bickerstaff is managing emotions for this Cavs team that has a lot of star power at this point, but he's also making wise decisions when it comes to winning plays and that was one of them being able to make a substitution of two of your star players to say hey we don't need you right now we need to put these two guys in and if that means that what happens happens then it does because obviously we see that some plans don't come to fruition exactly as they were drawn up but I think that's a good place for us to stop today, Chris, and that'll wrap up today's episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. But remember to become a Cavs insider and interact with Chris and me by subscribing to Subtext. Sign up for a 14-day free trial or visit cleveland.com backslash Cavs and click on the blue bar at the top of the page. If you don't like it, that's fine. All you have to do is text the word stop. It's easy. But we can tell you that the people who sign up stick around because this is the best way to get insider coverage on the Cavs from me and Chris. This isn't just our podcast. It's your podcast. And the only way to have your voice heard is through subtext. Y'all be safe. We out.